Welcome to Stigma Shakers Podcast. I am your host, Ali Hensley, author, speaker, and stigma shaker of the best kind. This podcast is all about shaking and breaking up taboo into digestible chunks, which we like to call our social smoothie. In this podcast, I will ask the difficult questions that can be hard to digest because everyone deserves a little balance in their mental health diet. And let's face it, folks, the only thing normal in this world is different. So my question to you, can we make truth the next biggest trend? Today joining me is the incredible Amanda Goff. Amanda is a best-selling author, journalist, and former escort under the alter ego name of Samantha X. Amanda started her career as a tabloid journalist in her hometown of London before moving to Sydney in 2000, where she worked in TV and magazines. Then, at 37 years old, after two kids and a separation, Amanda completely changed her life. After walking out of her 9-to-5 job, Amanda became Australia's most high-profile escort, Samantha X. Since then, Amanda has written two best-selling books and is the focus of constant media attention gaining fans and critics worldwide. Now deciding to leave the escort business behind her, Amanda now lives life unapologetically despite facing global judgment and stigma. Amanda continues to inspire women to lead the life they want without explanation. And most of all, Amanda encourages vulnerability so that all people can be their unique and original stigma-free selves. Hi, Amanda. <laughs> We're pulling faces at each other. <laughs> we already can, like, already can set, set the tone for this. Um, thank you, Amanda, so much for joining me today on the Stigma Shakers podcast. It's wonderful to have you. Thanks, Thanks for inviting me. In context, when we were kind of looking at the topics that we wanted to cover on Stigma Shakers, of course, we know one of the biggies is the sex work industry. Mm-hmm. And of course, we I met you on Instagram. I reached out and we had a phone call. And I think that phone call was just ridiculously effortless. The whole point of this <laughs> podcast today is to talk about of course, the industry head on, but to really look at the relationship between that when it comes to shame, um, debunking some myths that we have, and hopefully putting the stigma back in its place. Really kind of just putting it out there, why is there a social stigma? Why is there a stigma when it comes to the sex work industry? Well, mostly for women, there's a stigma. You know, there's lots of male escorts out there and they just get slapped on the back and like, oh, you lucky you, mate, you get paid to have sex. Whereas women in the sex industry um, have always been and probably will always be stigmatised. Um, you know, it's the Madonna and the whore complex, really. You know, you're either a good girl or you're a bad girl. And bad in society um, with women usually means women who are highly sexual. And, and to be honest, Ali, the sex industry wasn't even about sex, but that's a whole different conversation. You know, like, well, I'm not you know, ashamed of my choices and I did, it, I did what I did at the right time for me. Um, I look back and I think I can't believe I did all of that, you know, because I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 recently. And while it's not an excuse, it certainly is not an excuse, it sort of helps me understand reasons behind my behavior when a woman is in charge of her body 
um, and just and when she decides what to do with her body and if she wants to um, become a sex worker, then it's then when then we're see, then we're demonized, you know. And I don't know whether that's because we make money from men um, because sex workers wouldn't exist if men didn't exist. Let's be honest. Supply and um, demand. Supply and demand. But, yeah, we, I mean, I think there'll always be stigma with women who work as sex workers. Mm. Always. Even though we, we say we're a tolerant society now, um, I do question how tolerant we really are. I think I think we like to herald ourselves as incredibly progressive until it's not. Um, and I think That's that can right. be a little bit like the Jekyll and Hyde when it comes to society. But So what was the – so the day – what did the day look like where you said, this is, this is what I'm going to pursue now as my next career choice stroke income? <laughs> um, well, I was looking through the newspaper. No, I wasn't really. I, um, I saw the ads. No, I've always, I, the, the, the industry always fascinated me. Uh, even as a teenager, I used to um, go to the south of France and see at that time, as with children's eye, with young, you know, young girls' eyes, I mm. saw the ladies of the night looking very glamorous um, on the street in the south of France, uh, and I had no idea what these women were. Um, and then when I, I interviewed as a journalist, I interviewed some strippers in a, in a strip club in Sydney, Australia, and I was so blown away by how professional they were. And how um, strong they they seemed to be, and in control, and confident, and everything I wasn't. Um, and they said, "Why don't you put on a dress and come and dance on the stage?" And of course, I really wanted to, but I couldn't because I was a journalist doing my job. But it really got me thinking that maybe you know I wanted a bit of what this women, these women had, you know, a bit of um, self empowerment, confidence. I was just about to say, is that is there a sense of because you know how sometimes people think that people who are selling sex in some co- kind of context for money, mm. they're being taken advantage of, they're being exploited. But it sounds like what you're saying is that it almost sounded like you wanted to reclaim some confidence that's through right. your sexuality. Yes, that's exactly right. And look, I'm, I'm not naive to say that all sex workers have uh, this experience. I know that I'm privileged and, you know, I was work I was seeing high quality clients I was working the hours I wanted to work I was charging a lot of money and I am you know of course there are women who um, do sex work to survive and who aren't so lucky and in not so great situations but I can only talk about my experience Um, and yeah I felt I mean having had a whole range of experiences growing up where I was exploited by men it was my chance to get my power back, and I did. And I really, and I, and I say that sincerely, regardless of how I feel about my industry now. Um, I only ever felt in control. Did you feel vulnerable during or after seeing a client? No, I didn't feel vulnerable. I, there was a part of me that felt unworthy of a healthy relationship. Um, and that the snapshots of intimacy with clients was probably the best I could do. Um, and that happy relationships, happy normal relationships was something I couldn't do. So sex work was a no-brainer for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's an awful lot of people out there who are sitting in unhealthy relationships trying to do anything and everything they can to remedy them. Um, 
because of self-worth. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think if you're trying to do everything and everything to remedy a relationship, I would question whether it's the right relationship for you to be in. Um, I think, I mean, I definitely saw as Samantha lots of men trying to fix relationships in a funny way seeing sex workers, but a lot of men were were staying together with their partners because leaving wasn't really an option because of money, kids, etc., or what people thought. Um, And a lot of people, I think, are scared of being on their own. I'm more scared of being in an unhappy relationship, to be honest. I think it's more painful staying in an unhealthy relationship than it is to exit one. Now, I understand that. I definitely agree with you there. Rightly or wrongly, when I'm in a relationship with, with men, I lose my power very, very quickly. Um, and I have, and I've, you know, like everyone else, I've been hurt and I've been, you know, emotionally abused and blah, blah, blah. But with, with when I was Samantha, my, my pseudonym, I was always in control. I, I had the power in the bedroom. Uh, I had the power out of the bedroom with them. And, you know, men would be quaking in their boots. Whereas in my real life as Amanda, I just didn't have that confidence. And, mm. um, strength that samantha did you know yeah it's just two very different personas and i sort of wished i could be more like samantha in my real life and even now at my age 49 i have no idea how to behave in relationships as amanda you know because i had the backing of samantha in those days and i don't have that anymore so the background for the listeners for me um is that I have a condition which I shared with you Amanda which is called MRKH and there's a ton of information out there about my story but because I was born let's just drop it in there with an underdeveloped vagina no uterus I had to go and make my vagina my whole relationship around sex and intimacy was very very skewed and I also took on a persona of Sarah who would go to the pub and she would be desirable and confident and and I think I think a lot of a lot of people irrespective of of their setting do put on that mask because somehow we we do wear different faces and we do have different personas you know at work or within a family dynamic and I think that's not necessary I think it's so broad what was the reaction of your friends when you made that choice to become Samantha X? I don't think anyone was surprised, those people that were close to me. Um, I think they saw it coming. You know, I was always, I always loved men. I always loved the company of men. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I talked about it for, for years before. So I don't think anyone was surprised, to be honest. I think, and because I did a really good job of convincing them it was really normal and, you know, um, and how, you know, un- uncontroversial the industry is really, how normal clients are. I don't think anyone was really surprised because I've been talking about it for years. Did you find people disassociated from you? I feel that not 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 close friends, really, or no, no friends, really, but there is definitely... Um, an aspect of, oh, you know, let's meet for coffee, but can we go to your house? You know, especially for men, if they wanted to go on a date, a normal date with me, they didn't want to be necessarily seen with me. Um, did they say that or did you pick case, up on that? 
I picked up on that. Yeah. And now, if, my, if a man asks me out, which they very rarely do these days, and if they hint that they don't want to be seen in public, then I just tell them to get fucked, basically. <laughs> Bondi dating, let's just kind of let, let it lighten up a bit. It's, yeah. it is, it's a shit fight. <laughs> yeah. Dating yeah, I don't and Bondi is hard. No. No, it is, no, it is well, a struggle. I don't date. No, no dating date. apps, no dating... dating. Not really. I like I flirt with the dating apps, but I don't know. I just I think when you've been through trauma with men, and I'm talking about as Amanda, not Samantha here. Um, I just I just I mean I'm in a good place at the moment, and I just don't want to. I, I am a little bit burnt, and I don't want to. I don't have the protection of Samantha now, so I have to be very very cautious and careful. You know. What would you say is are some of the key misconceptions or myths? Around- um. Escorting. Mm. Well, the number one myth is that the sex industry is about sex, whereas you know I quite more than often didn't have sex with my clients. Um, men would come to see me for a whole variety of reasons. Connection being number one. Now, connection is not just about penis and vagina. Um, mm-hmm. It's about emotional connection, intimate connection. You know, clients. More than than not, I'd go for dinner, go for lunch, go for coffee, go on holidays. Um, You know, I've had to talk a client off from the ledge, literally. He's wanted to kill himself. You know, I became a therapist as a sex worker. Um, Sex is sex is sex. Sex is over very quickly, usually. takes two minutes. These men are not spending thousands of dollars and booking hours and hours because they want sex. They need something else. They need something more. Another uh, myth is that all the clients are weirdos. The clients I met are completely normal, whatever that means, professional men. Some were married. Some were separated. Some were divorced. They were all professional men. They all had a trade. They all had jobs. Um, They all were, you know, quote, respectable men. So those are the biggest two myths, I think, that, that, that all clients are rapists and that sex industry is disgusting about sex because I used to joke that my single friends had more sex than me and I was in the industry. <laughs> so um, those are the two, two biggest myths, I think. So would you say the clients, cool clients, were lonely, vulnerable, in need, as you say, emotional intimacy with a person and you provided that which may they maybe they weren't getting at home or they would were they too I feel like I'm doing stereotypes because I want to say he's the you know the he's the the fierce go-getter you know that has the money and and has disregard and he just can get what he wants but would you say that that would be a um yeah no I didn't have any clients like that I had mostly clients you know let's say you know 50% were married the married ones had sexless loveless marriages usually um one client hadn't been intimate with his wife for 10 years uh didn't want to get a divorce because he didn't want to break the family up um and his needs were not just physical though they were he wanted just to touch someone's hand or you know have dinner with someone another client used to travel a lot for work and he got sick of table for one he said so he'd like to you know he just wanted a dinner companion um but definitely all of them all of my clients had were lonely and needed connection. And you can be a successful CEO married with three kids and still be incredibly lonely.
like how do you feel about the word prostitution or cool girl or hooker and these different types of labels that are given given to women who effectively mm. are, are probably still with men who are seeking a range of things from that person mm. oh look i really hate the word prostitute uh, i think it's really derogatory and we all prostitute ourselves you know no matter what you do um I mean, look, uh, hooker and cool girl, if you want to, you know, I say hooker in my book a few times and there's London cool girl with Billy Piper. Um, yeah. Sex worker, escort, companion, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think when people say prostitute, they mean they don't mean it nicely. No. Um, so I, ha- I have a real that word. I'm not usually sensitive about things like that, but the word prostitute I do. I, I mean, what do you think about the word prostitute? I think as soon as I hear it, I get the visual. You know, I get the visual of the girl and it's not, I keep thinking like this, the film Pretty Woman, (laughs) like let's be honest, Hollywood movie. I don't know, I I don't ever think, I I feel that some people, for whatever reason, go into certain anything because Mm. maybe if they're, I'm not saying they have to be broken, I'm not saying that they have to be deprived of, of something but I think definitely there would be different choices that people would go into the industry. I think yours sounds incredibly positive, actually. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I was lucky, and I know not so not women, not other women are so lucky, and I know a lot of women struggle in the industry. Saying that, though, ninety nine point nine percent of women I know in the industry absolutely thrive. You know, I attracted a lot of women, particularly because I'm in my forties. Mm-hmm. A lot of women approached me who are in their forties, maybe have come out of divorce, maybe the husbands have run off. Maybe they're left with the children. Maybe they're sick of working in their corporate job. And they all saw my story and they read my story. And they, it's, it somehow unlocked this desire in them, this sexual desire and need to do something a bit more exciting with their lives. And a lot of them had flirted with the idea of becoming an escort. And when they read my story, they thought, wow, my God, this woman, she's a mum. She's in her 40s. She did it. Why can't I? So I did attract that kind of woman. And I had an escort agency where I employed women over 40 incidentally women over 40 are extremely popular um which is really nice to know so i had an escort agency samantha x angels that i set up um a few years ago and i employed women over 40 because i could see there was this gap in the market there was this need for men who wanted mature women to spend time with you know, not every man wants a, you know, a 21-year-old. Um, a they A lot of men I met along the way were desperate for connection with women over 40 because they felt women over 40 had life experience, you know, were more confident, more sure of themselves. Um, and these women I attracted, they were professional women, they were educated, they were, you know, stuck in jobs, sick of working nine to five, which is really eight or seven um, for mm-hmm. ship pay, um, and they wanted to spend more time with their kids and they wanted to have a more flexible job. And they flirted with the idea of being an escort and they probably always had. And they saw me come along in my 40s and do it. And they thought, well, if she can do it. I can do it. I mean, I you do make it sound very appealing. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> I think I do, you know, I, I would suggest that most people would think about like the danger aspects of that. But mm-hmm. with that in mind, you know, we're talking about the word prostitution, how we all prostitute ourselves to varying degrees Mm -hmm. what would what I think I've got my own idea about that but what would what's yours first 
Well, I mean, I remember a very controversial radio host interviewed me when I first went public and, and said the word prostitute. And I said, we all prostitute ourselves. I said, you've sold yourself, you, you sold yourself to the devil because you signed up with a coconut water company. And uh, every five minutes on this radio station, there's a coconut water ad. <laughs> and you're calling me a prostitute. Like he was a great guy and we had a laugh about it. He says, oh, actually, you have a point, you know, because I, I mean, when I was a beauty editor, I used to work for the glossy magazines and I was only allowed to write about the products that advertised with us. The advertising companies were dictating what beauty editors would tell the public was a good lipstick because they were paying for advertising. So you, we all do it. Right. My thought, because whenever I think, whenever I'm ch- sort of talking about this with you, I immediately do go back to Sarah, my um, alter ego back in the days where I had no self-esteem. Um, and I was, for me, I was incredibly, and this is one of the, the kind of outcomes that can go with the diagnosis that's MRKH, is that once you've made your vagina, you want to make damn sure that it's, one, it's workable, to that you're desirable enough for a man and that you have sexual wealth or worth, I guess. And I would, you know, I would there be, it's not necessarily as literal as an exchange of drink or exchange of money or, you know, all those sort of things. But I certainly was, you know, and this is where we sort of can dovetail into a little bit of shame, I guess, with sex and shame, because I was very, yeah, I was very promiscuous and I was trying to find a lot of answers within sex or within intimacy and trying to learn, you know, the difference between the two. And I think some people can just assume that sex, if it's not within the society's neat kind of cute box, then it's just disgusting. And that's where shame, that's where shame loves to breed. Oh yeah, look, that's right. Shame does love to breed. And I have a lot, you know, of course you get trolls and I got a lot of trolls who said, don't you have any shame? And it's like, well, you clearly do. So, you know, or you're making me feel like I need to have shame. And it's only since I left the industry that now I look back and I think, oh, you know, I can see the shame. And, and, and um, as hard as it is to work, I'm trying to work on not feeling ashamed but society does a really good job of making women feel ashamed. If someone thinks I should be ashamed, I would question their view on shame and their view on sexuality. Because what is it about my story that makes you think of the word shame? That's what I would question. Money? Transaction of money? Well, I mean, marriage is a transaction, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Look, I mean, I was in a relationship with a wealthy man and uh, he bought a house and he did this and he did that. I mean, and in return, I was his partner and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So everything's a transaction. I mean, I could have sex for free. I, you know, I could have had sex for free. Um, and I got to the stage, I think, in my life where I thought I'm sick of having shit sex for free and then being ghosted by some dickhead. So I'm going to turn this around on its head. And if a man wants to waste my time, he can pay for it. And that's something I really believed in. And that's why it's very hard to date now, because I don't like having my time wasted by men. I was just about to say, well, because you could make 1500 like, wasn't it about $1,500 an hour? Did I read that? Yes. 
You don't remind me, Ali. I missed that money. <laughs> don't remind me. <laughs> how do you feel about Samantha X now? And how, how does that sort of persona still follow you till present day? Ali, I love her and I hate her. You know, like I, I love Samantha. Part of me wants to be Samantha. But I also hate Samantha because I feel... She's ruined a lot of things for me, but it's really hard because it's a typical bipolar thing. It's because I, but I also love her because she saved me sometimes, you know, that power Now we've talked about this, the power of disassociation. Mm-hmm. Now disassociation is probably not healthy, but it can save you in, in some situations. Um, and Samantha was great at disassociation and I don't have that disassociation now and it's incredibly painful not to have disassociation sometimes and Samantha was great for that you know what I mean I'm sure you can relate to that I always think that it's hard it's harder well it's harder to be healthier it's really (laughs) easy for me I found it really easy being dysfunctional because I didn't have to do anything I just let the shame do it for me yeah 100% Um, and I think a lot of us do all, we all have our forms of disassociation, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's indulgence in overspending, whether it is, you know, through sex and, and things like that. And I, yeah, and I, so when, when you kind of want to close the gap to lead a healthier life and all that kind of Jim Jam means, which is wonderful. Yeah, it's really hard to feel the feelings. So you, you're still kind of tapping into her. Is that good? Well, I, I look, I've accepted that Samantha X is the med- is my media name and I've got my own podcast now and I still write, write columns and, you know, Samantha X is what sells. <laughs> That's what I think. And it always, she always will sell because, you know, sex sells. Um, it's just I'm not Samantha in my day-to-day life. I'm not working. I'm not escorting. I'm not seeing clients. Um, and that's not to say I don't miss that because I do. I certainly miss the money. Um, mm. But you sort of – I sort of – and I don't know how you feel about Sarah now, but I sort of feel I can't go back to Samantha even if I wanted to go back now. Um, so once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? You can't unknow it. I want to hear your thoughts actually about why is something so common as sex carry so much shame across, you know, even Instagram sites are getting, you know, closed down left, right and center because of the word sex is mentioned in the most healthiest capacity. Why is it so, um, why is it so underground? Yeah, I don't, look, I asked a million dollar question. (laughs) I I have, I I think maybe because women are involved. (laughs) Um, when women are involved because you can see the most horrific things on Instagram um, mm. and, you know, you can have topless men and uh, sexy poses with men, but God forbid if a woman does it, you know, you can't have a hint of a nipple showing. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a fear. I mean, shame, is come, uh, to me, it's fear-based. So if someone uh is angry about something or or the people that that really responded to me and my story with anger it's obviously triggers something in them some shame in them i don't know what it is but it's you know unfortunately it it will probably always be like this even though we're very we're making very slow dents um very slow progress in our attitude towards sex um we're certainly talking about it a lot more um but yeah i mean the world is still very conservative 
especially Australia. What would you say to somebody who was legitimately wanting to pick this profession? Um, don't is my number one advice. Um, because once you're in it, once you're in the sex industry, it's incredibly hard to get out. If you are going to do it and you've made your mind up, have a financial goal. Stick to it. Save your money. Don't buy Chanel handbags. You don't need them. Save your money. If you want to buy a house, buy a house. Don't waste your money. See it as a business and pay yourself a wage. You'll get paid a lot of money, but you'll also spend a lot of money. So be sensible. Stay away from drugs and alcohol. You need to have the control in the bedroom at all times. Um, what else? I think that's about I mean, it. That's pretty, that's, well, I think the first one is don't. Obviously bipolar and it, you obviously were um, an escort before your diagnosis of bipolar. Mm. How did bipolar-ring, yeah. uh, like, what's the word, influence? Samantha X? Look, I think with my bipolar, I was manic. You know, I can see, when I can see, and hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, I had weeks, days, weeks, months where I was on a high. You know, I achieved so much. I wrote books. I had these great ideas. I, um, you know, I was so disassociated from my body and myself. Um, So sex work was something I could do easily. And then the crashing lows would come. You know, I'd feel really down. I wouldn't be able to achieve anything. I wouldn't leave the house. The feelings of shame, blah, blah, blah. And then I'd feel high again. It was just a never-ending cycle. Um, and then when I was diagnosed and put on the medication, and then my mood started to even out, um, yeah, then I could see the, the, what I'd done. And it was a bit embarrassing, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, oh well, we all have, uh, I think, what was that, that saying? It is a bit of a, I mean, I guess a religious saying, but he who is, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Because I think That's there right. are so many people who, we've all got our little backstory. And if we were to be totally upfront yeah. and honest, I think we would be then very hard pressed to judge somebody else if we were to look back at our own stuff. And it's not, I don't think it's bad choices. I truly don't believe we go out of our way unless we're doing something incredibly highly criminal and sadistic. I don't think that we make necessarily bad choices. I think we make choices based off what we needed, wanted at that time. And I think a little bit of self-forgiveness is always quite handy when you've got flashbacks yeah. of like the stuff yeah. that I would do. It's just it's the stuff. Oh, God. It's, it's all in the book. <laughs> when the book gets published... I did share with you how I had this momentary desire to be, I I think I wasn't going for high end. Um, I think I was going for low end sex work. And I, yeah, it did. I sort of remember I was sitting with a group of friends in a pub and we were drinking, of course, and I was in a very dysfunctional, abusive relationship. You know, the, the, the writing was on the wall, but as a 20 year old, you don't see that. And I was just like, I'm just going to go and sell my body. Like, I don't, this is too hard. This life is too hard. Being me is too hard. Um, And then, yeah, I got in a cab and thought London was, you know, the big apple of sex work industry and I'd find it. And then 
I sobered up and the taxi took me back to the the pub and I joined the group of people and no one was any the wiser (laughs) that I was just, I could have the sliding doors moment. Can you imagine? (laughs) So like we've got these really lovely little cute questions that we like to ask our guests as well. Oh yes, go on. Wrap up the, yeah, okay. So here at the Stigma Shakers podcast, our aim is to shake up and blend unique social smoothies for our listeners to digest around the topics of stigma and shame. And so now our discussion is coming to an end. I'd like to ask you, what ingredients would you want to have in your social smoothie to improve people's outlook, mental health or judgments? Like what ingredient would it be? So, okay, so I would choose compassion because compassion is something I really learned as an escort and it's helped me understand people better and it's helped me uh in the way I react to people I mean it's still sometimes someone can say something to me and I'll judge them you know we all judge Uh, when when you have compassion for someone um I think it really can shift your perspective and that's something I learned as Samantha so yeah I think compassion is the number one ingredient it's beautiful and what would you what would you call your smoothie x-rated <laughs> x-rated for extra blend <laughs> how can people find you lovely amanda so my instagram is amanda goff official and goff is g-o-double-f for freddie my books are hooked and back on top by samantha x and my podcast is called exposed with just an x uh, by samantha x amazing and thank you I mean thank you so much for chatting today about this it's been it's been really I mean it's been really eye-opening and I think it's just hopefully it's just scratched a level away from just you know the surface level conversations that some would have and you know you're a beautiful human being yeah okay I'll just oh thank you You (laughs) I'm not very good at the wrap-up thank you for having me (laughs)